five of the 52-week film project. Will, we are one week away from having done this for six months, being halfway through the 52-week film project. It's kind of crazy. I keep on thinking every time we do a new episode of the podcast that... It, it literally we're almost at the halfway point we've done the home stretch we've worked out our little th- problems we've created solutions we've got a great we thing have working. jingles at the beginning and the end of the podcast exactly exactly oh it, it's great it's great people's I'm... parents are listening to us <laughs> um well my parents aren't well i i, I hope my parents are uh, mum doesn't really understand what a podcast is yeah, my mum keeps saying to me, "Can you can you share it with me so that I can like find it, and listen to it?" I'm like, like every fucking week, it pops up on your Facebook. I know, I know. Well, what can you do? What can you do? What to be fair, we, to be fair, sometimes we swear. So I don't 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 my mother. My mother thinks I'm angelic. She doesn't think I'm angelic. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, moving swiftly on. This week we have two films. I know we uh, recently we've been tossing and turning between wanting to do. Uh, to kind of trim it back and just do one film a week and then too many good fucking films come out which can't do that correct um this week we're reviewing fantastic beast 2 the crimes of grindelwald and widows the steve mcqueen heist film um just before we go into the news which film did you enjoy more this week it's a good question i would probably say widows yeah. Would you say Fantastic I would, Beasts? I would say Fantastic Beasts. Fair enough. But we will get into that. Um, what have you got newsworthy this week, William? Uh, not much. Uh, no, I'm joking. That's um, <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. So, Sell um, it, boy. <laughs> um, um, so my first bit of news. Um, do you remember, I think it was last week, I was talking about the uh, new Deadpool film. Um, yeah, what, the, 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 PG... the, uh, the, yeah the, the kids one, right? Yeah, the PG-13 Deadpool film. Well... PG-13, maybe. Um, in fact, PG-13, no, for the UK. So it's going to be PG-13 in the States, but it's going to be a 15 in the UK, which begs the question, why are they doing this movie? And that, and the answer is because they want to make money. Um, you see the tra- you, the trailers come out this week. Um, it stars Fred Savage from The Princess Bride. Um, he what? is... Why? What's he doing? I haven't seen it, to be fair. Um, whoa, whoa. It's essentially, the joke is, is that there's just this guy who's inserted into the film to, um, who's got, who looks like, he's got like tiny legs. Um, and he's just there to make it PG-13 and friendly for the kids. That's the gag about it. And that it's it, the movie is not called Deadpool 2 PG Cut, or it's called Once Upon a Deadpool. So they're riffing on a Christmas film. Um, the film is down to 117 minutes, um, as opposed to the original 119 minutes. Um, I know, crazy difference, right? Um, but it is interesting <laughs> that they've, um, they've cut, they've, considering they've added about 30 to 40 minutes of extra footage... Is that um, how much there is? There's, there's 30, so this is a completely different story? Well, no, the story is exactly the same. However, they have just reshot and filmed about 30 to 40 minutes of different stuff. So what that probably means is that, um, in line with the trailer, is that Fred Savage character is going to be in a lot of the scenes with the other characters, um, just to make it PG-13. Now... I just am not sure. As soon as I saw this trailer, I was like, classic Deadpool trailer. Um, it was quite funny. The last bit of the trailer is just Deadpool and Fred Savage ripping into, like, Deadpool being a Fox product and saying, like, Fox is Deadpool, um, which is funny. But it all, but it doesn't really ring sincere or true. It just rings, I want to, Fox wants to make as much money out of these films as possible so they can have some light jibes against us. 
Um, oh mate, I, I don't. I just, I just when it, they first announced this was happening, I just didn't understand. It, like, I, I don't get. What, did anyone ask for this? No. Well, this is like thing. we like we had the, like you know the whole of the Western world seemed to have the the argument of whether we asked for the Han Solo film, mm-hmm. and like I'd at least say that like a whole brand new film is worthy of being made ten times more than like a reshot watered down version of a film that's already come out and is only a 15 yeah so if this is if, if this is also a 15 what is it doing and why can't they just do like a half an hour short movie or something like that that they released exactly it makes little to no sense i have absolutely no idea why they're doing it um if it's a do you fi- know when it comes out um christmas it's once upon a deadpool it's uh it's that there is apparently christmas tie-ins which makes it even more gut-wrenchingly sick-worthy. Um, gut-wrenchingly sick-worthy. That's my... Cut. Um, gut-wrenchingly sick-worthy. Yeah, but I just... Hopefully I someone will it. review our podcast one day and use those words, mate. Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not, I mean. <laughs> um, all right, great stuff. I, I'm not probably not going to watch it. <laughs> um, my first bit of news. Um, the big man with seemingly no plan and too many books to write and way too many deadlines, George R. R. Martin of Game of Thrones, um, has set himself another deadline. He is working with Hulu, the streaming service, on a new sci-fi series. Um, it's based on the wild cards sci- like sci-fi novels, um, which are written by a variety of authors known as the Wild Cards Trust. But the framework was originally developed by George R. R. Martin. Um, it's going to be produced by Universal Cable Productions, and they're already planning multiple seasons of the show. Um, it's the, the setting is kind of weird. I don't really know if I'm on board with it. It says it takes place in an alternate post World War Two setting, where an alien virus has been released onto the human population. Dubbed the Wild Card Virus due to its unpredictable nature, it rewrites human DNA. Most who come into contact with it die, but 1% develop superhuman abilities. It It's not the same plot as Heroes, but it kind of sounds like it's trying to be Heroes, uh, which was obviously cancelled after four seasons. Um, just write the books. Just, yeah, get, just get on a book j- out. Just focus on the Game of Thrones, man. Just, just get the books out. Has he even released? I mean, he hasn't done a Game of Thrones book for about six years now, right? No, I, I think... I the I came to Game of Thrones a bit late. I bit not too late, not like season six, season seven. But I got I got into it about early through season four. So season four was still airing when I went through it, um, and so I binged it and etc. But in the in the what four years that there's been, there's been no books. Um, yeah, 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 I, yeah. No, the season the seasons have gone. They've written way beyond what the books have done. And he said he said a long time ago that he's kind of told the um, kind of the writers Benedoff and Weiss, I think they're called the guys that screenwrite for Game of Thrones. He's told them his kind of overarching plan for how the story will play out, and they've kind of taken creative license and mm. gone and taken it in another direction to satisfy the the series natural ending, which will be in April next year. Woo! Um, but I, ju- I I don't know, man. I just feel like. If I was a fan of the books, and I'm not because they're hefty and I can't be asked. If I, if I was, Correct. if I was a fan, 
I would be so peeved right now. Like, if I knew that, like, the furthest I'd read in the actual books was, like, around about season five of the TV series, and they're about to wrap up the TV series by, like, June next year, like, I don't know. I'd be so frustrated. No, completely. I'm I'm with you on that. I I also don't trust Hulu at all. Like, name one thing that they've done that has been good. Um, I know that, like, I'm sure there are. I'm sure you're probably gonna, if we Google it later, you're probably gonna be able to, like, like channel for me or film for me (laughs) and find that they're actually one of those low key studios that produces loads of, like, shit that you love. But they don't scream a big name to me. And this concept seems like the kind of thing where, like, it will. Like it will either stick with the first season and be like another uber big show, or it will just be kicked to the curb. Well, if if he takes four years to write a new season, like the like, um, um, what's his? I, my mind's gone blank. I know the name. The guy who wrote Rick and Morty. Oh, uh, Dan Harmon Dan... and. Uh, Justin Roiland. Yeah, but he does the voices, doesn't he? Yeah, Dan Harmon mainly. Um, yeah, if he does that, it's just it's just going to die as a show. Also, correct me if I'm wrong. The only the only really the only way I know Hulu is is I I sometimes go up to London. I sometimes live in London. That's kind of who I am. Um, and there's just <laughs> thanks for the bio. Will. Yeah, I know. Um. And all I can see is just those Hulu keeping up with the Kardashians things on um, red um, red London buses. That's, yeah. that's all I know Hulu from is keeping up the Kardashians on London buses. Um, so yeah, I think you're probably right. I'm not too thrilled about that. Um, just write the books, write the books, and keep your fans happy. That's all he needs to do. What's your next bit of news? Uh, my next bit of news is very short. Um, <laughs> Great. Very, very short piece of news. Um, I mention it only because of my excitement um, um, to do with Star Wars Mandalorian, the new um, thing that is being produced by Jon Favreau. Uh, it's a TV series, right? TV series, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. It's being put on Disney's streaming service when it be- is released next year. Um, Jon Favreau is directing. Um and it started shooting. There has been a couple of like leaked things online, which I've not been able to see yet. I'm going to have a thorough explore um, when I leave the podcast. Not leave the podcast. Leave <gasps> tonight. <laughs> it's on air. In a shocking turn of events. <laughs> well, you haven't discussed this with me. Just before halfway through. That'd be cruel. Um, oh. But um, Pedro imagine Pascal- if people just had to fucking listen to me in- like instead of both of us. Christ, I know, I know. We would have negative listeners. <laughs> I add an anarchical charm. Um, Pedro Pascal is the main role. Pedro. Oh, Pas- cool. Yeah, which I think is really, really cool. So it's not the He's biggest. He's the guy from Narcos, right? He's the guy from Narcos, and also talking about Game of Thrones, uh, played over on Martel. Um, you raped her. You murdered her. That, that dude. Oh, what I the know. one that gets his eyes squeezed out. Indeed. Oh. Yeah. He is. Going sorry. To be sorry. Great. Any new Game of Throners, but you know you got something fucking horrible coming in season four. I know. And do you know what? Well, to be fair, I think this episode is going to be quite a spoiler-heavy, heavy episode. Um, I'm ex- very, very excited. I've loved this actor for a while since I saw him play over on, and he's not got a lot of 
um, big roles from this, apart from Narcos, really. Like, he's, he's popped up in sort of bit parts throughout the years. But since his big season four Game of Thrones thing, I expected him to be cast in almost everything, and that's just not happened. So I'm really yeah, he's happy an for incredibly, him. he's an incredibly likeable guy, but I also feel like he's the kind of actor who he fits into the same category as me. As, um, <laughs> as me! As me! <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not you uh, and pedro pascal um, me and pedro pascal mate we're just you know two peas in a pod uh no i mean in terms of acting for me i see him in the same kind of league and vying for the same kind of roles as someone like oscar isaac who did like the um poe dameron role in star wars like mm-hmm. that could have been that could have been pedro pascal and oh he done yeah. a fucking good job of it like i'm not hating on oscar isaac i'm just saying i think that there are some actors similar to pedro that have caught a lucky break that he could have got. Correct. Um, you you wonder, don't you? Like you wonder how these roles. How like I mean, think about the amount of fucking people that audition for Poe Dameron, for example. Like Pedro Pascal probably fucking did it. Exactly. Along with a bunch of other, like a ton of other, you know, young up and coming male actors. It's like um, um, so go, on a tangent in Fantastic Beasts. Um, I was just reading up on the first film today. And I did not know that in, like, heavily considered for the role, and it was based on audition, was um, Matt Smith, um, the Doctor. Um, really? Yep. And Nicholas Holt, which I think would be both very interesting choices. Um, Nicholas Holt being Jennifer Lawrence's ex-boyfriend and also Beast in X-Men. Films. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, I know yeah. who he is. He's the, also from Skins, isn't he? Years yes, ago. yes, yes, yes. Um, yes, love a bit of Skins. Love skin, skin, love <laughs> Bristol, skins. drugs, understanding teenage <laughs> youth culture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna mention I'm gonna mention skins later. This is all all very great. Anyway, continue. It's interesting then, is like because I right I I would if I was casting Fantastic Beasts, I would think um, Matt Smith's way too typecast in that nerdy, slightly kind of smart casual wearing role. Yep. And I would say that Nicholas Holt is too good at playing an arsehole, and I don't think he would have been kind of affable enough to play Newt. He's either too wet or he's too he's he's too much. Of an yeah, arsehole. so true. Yeah, I, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, we'll get into it later. But like, personally, for me, I thought in this second Fantastic Beast film, Eddie Redmayne had a tendency to kind of over Eddie Redmayne things. Yeah. Um, and I think that considering they've got five films planned, with this being the second, they kind of need to watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of he got a little bit insufferable for me. But anyway, anyway, skip away ahead. Uh, my next bit of news. Um, this is one for all the Brits out there because the Americans tried it and failed miserably doing their own remake. Uh, the Inbetweeners is having a reunion. Woo! Um, now I like really fucking hit the roof when I heard that it was like the Inbetweeners is back and it's a two-hour special. Unfortunately, it's not new content. So basically, they're celebrating the tenth anniversary of the Inbetweeners starting. Um, and the kind of two-hour extravaganza will involve all of the cast kind of reuniting. Um, it will have behind-the-scenes clips, surprise guests, um, unseen footage and embarrassing stories. Um, there'll be kind of like tributes to the memorable phrases and slang that the show produced. Um, and I, I think just it will be a lot of fun. Um, Tom Beck, the head of live events at Channel 4, in his statement said, uh, Will, Jay, Simon and Neil spent years failing to sneak into the best parties. So I'm very pleased to throw one that they're definitely invited to. I just hope Will brings his fit mum. Hey, I like that. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think it'll be a lot of fun, man. I don't know when it's out. Um, I would assume sometime soon. Um, it's been yeah. 10 years. That, yeah. that breaks me slightly. And I... they only did they only did three seasons. 
the best shows only do a limited amount of seasons. Yeah, mate. No, but it's so true. Like Gavin and Stacey did three seasons. Mm. Like the Office. You got it. Come, the Office come fly too. with me. Come fly with me. Did one season. Fucking hit it and quit it. And it is still one of the funniest British comedies that's oh, ever yeah. been released. Correct. Correct. And and the fact that they just like I don't know what happened. I don't know if they like just decided they didn't want to do a second season or they decided to just kind of immortalise it and do a Carrie Fukunaga, as we always say. Um, <laughs> there are people that are, people are going to be like, what the fuck does that mean? Get back to episode 18, you bastards. Do your research. Exactly. Um, but I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be really fun. That'll be really, really good. Um, my last piece of film news. Um, I'm very excited to announce that Toy Story 4 has t- not one... But two teaser trailers out. Ooh, and they're fucking weird. They are very, very odd. Um, so if I just go through the trailers, um, I, I don't know which one was released first. Um, uh, the the weird one where they're holding hands in hand, the teaser. Well, I'll do, I'll do that one first then. The, um, this features the classic cast, um, literally including everyone, apart from Bo Peep. Um, now, th- now they there was speculation when this Toy Story 4 was first announced that the plot may be concerning tracking down Bo Peep. There are a couple of spoilers that this might be the case. However, in June 2018, Pixar rewrote three quarters of the script for Toy Story 4. Really? Yep. Three quarters of the script was rewritten in, in June 2018. Um, scary so stuff. So they haven't, they haven't finished animating it then, surely? No, surely not. I think, I think it, it's due to be released in summer 2019. Yeah, it's so, June 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I assume... That they probably they they if they're probably wrapping up the last bit of animations or just just or just trying to do it as quickly as possible at this point. Um, I'm not too worried about it because it does um, because it's Toy Story and they've always like Toy Story three. I remember going into it feeling feeling really apprehensive and they smashed it out of the park. So I'm not too apprehensive about Toy Story four. Um, anyway, the first trailer um, it features a new character called Forky. Um, I've had some inside tea from Empire Film News, essentially. Oh, have you? Uh, um, that this is, uh, he's played by Tony Hale from Veep, and Forky is created by Bonnie, the girl Andy gives his toys to in Toy Story 3. Um, so that would be an interesting character. And the idea of not being a toy is mentioned. They're all sort of spinning around in the air. It's got a sort of whimsical song. It's odd. It's very odd. And then the second trailer is essentially a Key and Peele sketch because it is a Key and Peele sketch because they have a bird who is played by Peele and a bunny that's played yeah, by Key. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the bunny and the bird are played by Key and Peele. And yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if they're going to be characters in the film or not, but it was just a really funny... Like it was kind of a follow up to what was quite a, um, it was like a massive tease at the first mm. one where that's kind of like all the characters are kind of hand in hand, all the ones you've known and loved, kind of like doing like a ring a ring of roses type thing, and then Forky kind of turns up. And I don't know about you, but I was really tired and a little bit drunk when I watched this teaser, and it really freaked me out. Yeah, it's like a in, a, in a bit in a bit of a like don't hug me, I'm scared kind of way because kind of Forky comes along and it's literally a fork with like some pipe cleaners on it and some gum for feet and goggly and eyes. It, like, and it like screams at the camera, I'm not supposed to be here or like I don't belong here, and then like runs off. Um, oh man! Like, and have you seen the like the the official poster they've released for Toy Story Four? Uh, no, I haven't seen that. It's like a really light grey drab background, and it's just Forky in the corner, like lurking, and he looks really like distressed. 
I don't know what the fuck they're doing or what they're trying to get you to think from this marketing campaign. Well, maybe that was the difference, is that the original story was tracking down Bo Peep. Now the story's based around Forky and about is he a real toy? That would be an interesting twist. I quite... I, I, I feel like... I love the, the old characters, but I feel like the old characters... It's almost like custod like if Toy Story Four is going to work, and you need to bring in a new good storyline. You have to introduce in that a good central new character, like they did in Toy Story Two with Jesse. Um, so hopefully, Forky yeah. is that. Um, yeah. So the well, first... maybe 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 Forky is only the tip of the iceberg. Maybe this is going to go down some sort of narrative of. I mean, imagine if it's some really weird storyline where it's like I don't know, fucking eco families and vegans are like to reduce plastic consumption they're not buying toys anymore and they're just fucking building their own toys out of shit that washes up on the shoreline and there's all these plastic straws that are just sort of blowing like they all they can do is yeah, just make like noises. maybe it's gonna be maybe it's gonna be some really deep eco like commentary uh, it probably it probably will be the toy story 4 is very toy story franchise is just very deep um anyway going back to the second trailer um they keep on getting the famous phrase, Key and Peele keep on getting the famous phrase, to infinity and beyond wrong. My favourite version of it is to insanity and the blonde. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, and it's the greatest thing I've ever heard. To insanity and the blonde. It's silly. <laughs> it's silly. No, it is good. I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, definitely. I really didn't care about Toy Story 3 when it came out, and then I watched it, and you know it was terrific. Um, nothing's going to beat Paddington 2, though. So we'll see if he gives it a run for its money. Um, in other cute, cuddly family movie news, now I'm so fucking excited about this. This has been in the works for fucking ages, and they finally pushed it through, and they've released a trailer. Um, Detective Pikachu, the movie, <gasps> it's so is exciting. coming. It's coming soon. Um, based on the Nintendo 3DS game of the same name, where you basically play as a detective version of Pikachu and you solve crimes that have kind of been perpetrated by different Pokemon. We're not we're not talking like gang rape and shit like that. We're talking like someone stole Jigglypuff's like I don't know fucking scrunchie. Mm. Um but this movie is live action. We've got actors such as Justice Smith playing kind of Pikachu's sidekick. He's a young guy from the get down. He was also the bloke in Jurassic Kingdom. Oh yeah, I, I've I've actually written here Jurassic Kingdom Fallen World. I hate the <laughs> film so much I can't even spell it right. Um, so he's he I think he's a great actor and he's essentially this kid this who kind of was destined to be a Pokemon trainer and then just wasn't uh, kind of like fell out of love with it or something and he teams up with Pikachu who everyone else can just hear as classic Pikachu saying the whole Pika Pika thing um, except for Justice who can hear Ryan Reynolds's voice. <laughs> um, which is just outrageous. Um, there's just a ton of other really interesting cast in this, right? You've got Bill Nye, who I'm going to assume is probably playing like Professor Oak or something like that. You've got Suki Waterhouse from The Bad Batch, who's just like all round like a fucking badass. You've got Rita Ora, no idea what she's doing yet. Probably and you've also it. got Ken Watanabe, who is the he's the dude who played Kim Jong-un in the interview. Oh, um, great actor. Amongst like a ton of other really great, hilarious he's the comedy guy that roles. did that YouTube clip of the... the um, um, what's it called? Uh, the Adult Swim thing. Yeah. Um, the... Oh, fuck, about like the... Like the... 
uh, broom shakalaka. Broom broom shakalaka. Oh my god! If there's if there are any of our like really close mates listening to this, like they're going to be like, oh my god, shut the fuck up! (laughs) You've made us watch that video. It's ridiculous. Um, But for anyone who hasn't watched the broom shakalaka video on YouTube, we will share it in our episode upload. It will be a link. Because uh, it is just the funniest fucking thing in the world. It's just the most off the wall twelve minute comedy special you've ever seen, mm-hmm. and it's got Ken in it. Um, this film comes out May 9th, twenty nineteen. Again, just like all the graphics and everything, it looks so amazing to see like really detailed like Pokemon with like actual hair and all of this stuff. It has caused some fallout. Like some true Pokemon fans have been a little bit like, oh. The way the trailer's looking, it kind of looks as if Pokemon are being treated as like domestic pets in this world. Um, They haven't really clapped back and said anything in response either way, which I think might mean that that could end up being a bit of commentary in the film. Maybe like a Pokemon have kind of been taken out of their natural habitat and it's up to us to kind of allow them to be free. I don't know. Um, You put too much stock into Pokemon politics. You just... You just get quite sad. Like Pokemon politics are just not, not very, um, not very interesting or important. Well, just also just a bit fucked up. Like if like having carrying these Pokemon around in in these in these tiny little Pokeballs, just not good. So if they're trying to make an argument about like, oh, they can't be domestic pets. Come on, come on, everyone, calm down. Um, I walked just a quick aside about Pokemon um, before we get back to it. Um, I walked into CEX the other day, um, and very exciting. I've not been to CEX in ages. It was nice to be back. Um, and <laughs> I really like CEX. Um, and I bought Assassin's Creed Revelations on Xbox 360 for a pound. Of course you did. I bought... Like you, ab- you absolute Assassin's Creed fiend. Love it. It's very hard. Um, I bought Arkham Asylum, the first one, for £2.50. And then I looked at the... Bargain. Po- and I looked at the Pokemon games. Um, Pokemon Heart Gold, which came out the same year... As these two games cost forty eight pounds. What? Forty eight pounds on what console? Nintendo DS. I think it's not that's even out- made anymore. That's outrageous. It is absolutely outrageous. I I literally walked past it and, and, and did a double take. It was absolutely silly. But that just shows how well Nintendo have kept these Pokemon games. Like they're still a, like a piece of like you still can't buy them for less than I don't know forty eight pounds. Yeah, well, that's the same fucking price that you pay to buy that new one that's just come out on the Nintendo Switch. Yep, exactly. Or like, and that's a, new a brand PS4 new game. game. Or like Red Dead Redemption. No, maybe not Red Dead Redemption. It's like seventy quid to buy that new game. Yeah, people are crazy for their Pokemon, man. Indeed. Which explains, which explains why there are some people being salty about this. But you know, do one. It's Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. <laughs> um, right. Let's get into the reviews. So, Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald. I realised I was saying it wrong about ten minutes into the film because they make it very, very clear that it's Vold it's, and not it's Grindelwald. Vold with a V. Um, even bloody Jude Law mixes up his voice. When people say it, though, it sounds weird. Like when you hear, like I, he did a good job as Dumbledore, right? Yes, he did do a good job. He's as a he's he's a he's probably the coolest new addition in this second Fantastic Beast film. Um, but I did struggle with his accent. Yeah, it's sometimes it flitted. floated in and out of being like Oxford schoolboy, like British, to being kind of like slightly Eastern European. Yeah, it was odd. It was odd. I think he was trying to do 
um, Michael Gambon Irish Dumbledore, um, but failing. I think that was the thing. But like th- that doesn't really matter. He his performance, he didn't fail. I was worried about Jude Law as Dumbledore. He got all the nuances. He was quite magical, and he was great. He had the twinkle, which I was really really. He does, about. yeah. He he does have the twinkle. He does have the twinkle. Mm. Um, in terms of kind of like the returning cast. I mean, you know, there's not really much point us going into the kind of like the slew of different plot lines in this film, other than other than to say, like, arguably for me, this film juggles way too much. Correct. Um, and it, it spends too much time developing things that I would like from the research I've done. It spends too much time developing the elements of the plot that people largely don't actually care about. Um, and the characters that people aren't that attached to mm-hmm. and doesn't spend enough time with the ones, like the new ones, and the ones that are kind of really deserving of our time. Um, Especially when we talk about the controversy of Nagini as a character. Um, Claudia Kim being cast as Nagini, everyone lost their minds. They were like, you can't cast a woman as Nagini. J.K. Rowling um, tweeted about it and said she's but you maledic- get, maledictus. You get what you- you get why though, right? They, so they lost their minds for two reasons. There's the there's the camp of Potter fans, who are getting increasingly stressed out with J.K. Rowling's just seemingly like relentless desire to just fucking do away with canon and rewrite things willy nilly. Correct. Oh, correct. Um, and, which, and it, in, in which I will I will talk about this 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 episode because I I am one of them in, m- in lots of respects. I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd, and this film breaks a lot of her own rules and it's shocking it's actually yeah, but anyway yeah, continue, continue. But, but like the point with the nagini situation was everyone made a fuss a because of that level it was rewriting a character and rewriting a character's origins and country of origin um for the sake of increasing inclusivity in a film um and, and that's all well and good like i kind of get that point but i also i'm not a big potter fan so i don't really care that much but with all the controversy surrounding her character, I was kind of expecting her to have a bit more of a meaty fucking role. Exactly. I'm, pr- I'm, I'm pretty confident, I'm pretty confident that she did nothing. She had three lines? I, I actually I, counted. I, I ca- she had three I lines. categorically cannot think of something that she did that advanced the plot in any way. No, she or just did anything. She just to stuck with bolster the other performances. Yeah, and, and while we're at it, fucking credence, right? A lot of this film, um, a lot of the promotion, a lot of the PR is kind of you know they've had they've had a bit of a golden goose with Ezra Miller because in the last six months he's really become sort of a um, an inclusive icon, a real kind of like. Um, you know, he he had that he had that incredible shoot with was it GQ or somewhere somewhere else where he did the kind of andro like like all the androgynous looks. Uh, I think it was Playboy. Um, is it, are you talking about recently? Uh yeah. I mean, he's done more than one, but there was one in particular of like a couple of months ago where oh, he had not. all of these kind of like, um, you know, kind of throw away the identity of gender kind of outfits and it was really inspiring it was really impressive stuff um and then i don't know if you saw his kind of his outfit at the paris um premiere of fantastic beasts i know but he like for anyone who hasn't seen it like google it but he wore this like giant fucking cocoon it was absolutely bizarre. Have you seen uh, it? But then underneath, he looked really fucking cool as well. Mm. And he had, he had um, really cool makeup. Did you see his outfit for... I, I've I've literally spent the last week since I've seen the film just like researching as much as I can about Ezra Miller. Uh, my YouTube have, you got his, a bit, have you got a bit of a crush? 
yes. He's a genderqueer, beautiful... Uh, High cheekbones, sultry-looking chic goddess. And also... Then his this is what sold me his London look. He dresses as Hedwig, and then on his hands he has Avada Kedavra spelt out. Um, but it's spelt out like the spell was supposed to be spelt out in the medieval times, where um, Avada Kedavra was spelt out. You just you'd lose a letter every time, and you'd write it down as a talisman to keep you safe from spirits. And he has it like as a triangle on both hands. It's amazing. He's so cool. Yeah, really cool. He's very committed. But then, see, this is my point, right? Is he's very likable. He's a very good actor. And he is... Fuck it. He is so relentlessly underused in this film that it's actually painful. Whereas it went from him having, like, you know, an incredibly detailed and quite exposition-heavy role in the first film... He, he retains the same kind of interesting, meek character searching for an identity, you know, quite literally in this film. Um, but I just, I just found his performance so restrained. Like, I felt like they could have had so much more passion behind it, and even in the moments where it could have had real passion, um, like towards the end where kind of Grindelwald kind of eventually, you know, spoiler, gets him to kind of come and join the dark side, as it were. Um, it, it had nothing for me. It wasn't doing anything powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, even right at the end, where he throws his little hissy fit out, like smashes the window, um, it just felt forced. Yeah, I completely and, agree. And, and and I was I was really disappointed that they'd kind of done. Well, I was really disappointed to feel like Kylo Ren is a better villain searching for identity because I like as much as I like Adam Driver, I think it's a fucking shit character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hasn't been kind of driven the way it needs to, and this is this is even worse. Um, and I just I just think that this film, it had for me it had three objectives in terms of characterization. It had cement Jude Law as Dumbledore in a believable magical way, which it's done. Yeah, it did. It had introduced Grindelwald as a kind of. Voldemort predecessor that is really a force to be reckoned with and is really intimidating and it also had further the Credence barebone storyline to a point where he's kind of really getting to tangle with the kind of tortured artist subject matter that he get he that Ezra Miller can play with with that character for me it achieved one of those three things and we've already proven that it, it didn't do enough with Ezra Miller and it didn't allow him to do enough with the character and I don't know whether maybe it is because of kind of the fucking intense couple of years that Johnny Depp's having behind the scenes, but it was the most detached and boring performance I've seen from a villain in a in a very long time. Wow. See, I actually did disagree with you on that front. I thought Johnny Depp was really good. I thought I thought when he was doing the what I mean, what the character is is he's not Voldemort. He's 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 a political Voldemort. Voldemort is like a Puritan. He wants everything destroyed and he wants to own everything. Whereas Grindelwald wants wants um, magical purity, but it's in a politicized. Oh no, I know, I know. He's, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, he's, I know. Like, he's like the Harry Potter Magneto. Yeah, yeah. What a great thing to say, Jake. Um, well, well, he is, but but I like I I like, I know I get that point. No, no, no. I, I, I meant just in terms of the comparison I was making to Voldemort was just in terms of kind of like sheer force 
on camera and kind of like omnipotent. Well, no, but that I think he did have that in his political scene. I thought it's. I thought what when he was. I think yes, he doesn't do anything amazing, and he does sort of. He does have this slow, slow manner, which sometimes really drags out, especially in the early scene. But I thought yeah. when he was doing the political scene at the end. I thought what what he was doing with his eyes and then what he was doing with his mouth because a lot of it is on his face was very very good. Um, I was I was not worried about how he was how he was being portrayed. Um, no, I'll I'll admit that he was good in that that final scene, but I I I don't think the writing correct and the kind of di- yeah, direction of that final scene was very good. My God, I thought it was one of the most boring like culminations of a film ever. Like we've seen that shit before. We've seen someone rallying the people against the government force you know what i mean and it just like and like sod's law someone gets injured by a ministry of magic person in the crowd like oh that's perfect fucking fodder to just fuel the flames like i just it just it felt so generic to me i liked the scene in general i thought it was quite nuanced however there were certain bits like the the culmination and ending of the weird weird fire was terrible and that's that stupid like um, shisha um, skull. I'm gonna call it a shisha skull because that's yeah. essentially what it was. That predicts the future. Ooh, was rubbish. There's a couple of yeah. these things in this film. A couple of new creations that are just don't work. I mean, do, I mean, I don't know if you, you might like this bit because it was quite cute. Um, not that sounds really patronising. It did not mean it in that way. Um, but to be fair, a lot of people did like this when I went to the cinema with them. Um, but I thought the detective scene with the Niffler was a joke. I was like, what? What? What is actually happening here? When they had oh, the gold, it, gold. Bits oh on the yeah, floor. yeah, yeah. Right. So it felt like a video game. Yeah. It felt like if you were playing a Fantastic Beasts video game, that would be something that you do. And it just, it, yeah, it was like there was a lot of that. There were it a lot felt of really like dragged Stephen out Moffat bits that were like, God, this is Sherlock. quite boring. Um, yeah, completely. It, there were also some incredibly overly CGI'd bits, especially towards the end. Like, Christ, I'm so bored of those Harry Potter blue flames, like the signature blue flames. I just think they look shit. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, it has. Again, like it maybe because it gets a bit more serious plot wise, that's why I'm grumbling a bit. But it does still have some just incredible creations in it. Um, like we're talking that like Chinese dragon oh, beast it's thing. It's just like I don't know how they did that, but it's just stunning. The mini nifflers are absolutely adorable, and I fucking hope they're going to be back in the next film. Um, I think some people have some people have criticised it, but I thought the crazy black cats in the Ministry of Magic were pretty cool with the big like orb like blue eyes. I think they I think they were really really cool. I just wish they weren't CGI'd as much. I wanted them to be a bit yeah. more animatronic, but I completely agree with you. But they were really cool. Um, I think my main problem with this film, and don't get me wrong, I actually I really enjoyed a big amount of this film. Um, I I feel like I've been criticising it a lot. My main problem with this film is that it feels. It definitely feels like film number two of five. It feels like, it, what can this film actually achieve? Um, yeah. Um, but the other thing is, I felt like they're try they're having to transfer the fa- the first Fantastic Beasts film, which for all intents and purposes is a film about Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Um, and now the Grindle- Grindelwald storyline. Um, they're trying. It's it's like two things are clashing. You have Eddie Redmayne doing these beautiful, fun bits with the gang. And then you have um, the the crazy sad politics and the 
um, and the credence backstory and all and all these extra stuff and trying to add in new bits to the world. Um, yeah, I I found it difficult. And also, J.K. Rowling is is this film is just she just removes all of the stuff that she's previously written on Pottermore. Like like I'm gonna I'm probably gonna do quite a lot of spoilers on this. Um, I'll warn it in the podcast description. Um, Minerva McGonagall is in the film, uh, which is amazing considering Minerva McGonagall. Um, in the history that J.K. Rowling created, is born in 1935. The film is set in 1927. Um, so it's amazing that you've got a minus eight-year-old professor at Hogwarts. Now, I, <laughs> now I, I wouldn't care. Now, like, like this, it, it sounds like I'm having a grumble at all these sort of, like, products, because a writer can change her stories and etc. But for someone who J.K. Rowling has just constantly put so much lore out there online... And then, and people buy into it so much. And recently, she's just been changing it and changing it and changing it. And it just, it, this whole film just feels like, oh, okay, so all the stuff, all the beautiful things you've written, um, all the, the website you've created, Pottermore, which is where you share extra stories about the characters. So that was just a money-grabbing thing then. That's not because you're interested in the characters, because the characters can just be rewritten to suit your purposes. That's my, that's, I have yeah. a problem with that. I, I'm not judging the film for it. But I, I I do have a problem with that separately. I think I think my slight bugbear as well is in the transfer from the first film to the second film. There seemed to be little to no reason to include the character of Jacob. Mm. Um, he served absolutely no purpose in the film. Um, also, the the two sisters from the first film, I always kind of found them a bit annoying, but this time round, I found them just absolutely unbearable. Especially the blonde one who joins Grindelwald in the end. Queenie. Um, she she is she is just I do not get the purpose of the character. Um, if there's a fan base, fucking shine a torch on them because I can't fucking see them. Like it, it, she's just not an enjoyable. She's not an, an interesting actress. She's not an interesting character, and she does nothing in this film. Mm. Like she does absolutely nothing except serve a link to Grindelwald that even the people that you seemingly think you can trust on screen can have their motivations changed but because you don't particularly you're not particularly invested in the character anyway it's like oh right so okay so she's jumped over the blue flame she's going to join him cool let's see what happens there and it's it's not engaging at all and the time they spend with her especially she's like a a, a weirdly she gets a a shit ton of screen time and i don't really get why um but that is at the cost of expanding the stories of grimson the kind of Ministry of Magic bounty hunter, letter while she's around because she's a fascinating actress and an interesting character and didn't she's really, a really get, interesting character and what, she didn't really did she... didn't really get enough she didn't really get enough time. What was the problem um, with Hogwarts? Because like all because because all through the film it's like Lita was a troublesome force in Hogwarts and like oh, like mate. It was because of the whole thing about her drowning the baby brother. No, I know, I know, but like, and that, but that was, was like all rumored. that was all internalized, and then so when girls picked on her, she was a bit too mean with them. Yeah, I know, but it's it's it felt to me that like so you saw that you saw that you saw that on screen, but then you but then it was talked about like this long overarching very important thing, which I just didn't believe the character of Lita was. 
if that makes sense. Like she was just like she for, she was tortured and she was an interesting character because she didn't have enough time to explore that. I didn't see the two sides. I kind of just saw her as like a nice woman who had a t- troubled yeah. past. As and a- I remember when they tried to do the when they tried in the episode in in the episode in the scene <laughs> where they have like the revelation of what happened to her as a child. I remember, like, you, you've got, like, five or six of the main characters in there all at once. They all kind of, like, coalesce. And it skipped from, like, the most random scene. Like, some of the editing was so unbelievably choppy. It would be, like, right, one moment, Newt and Jacob and, like, one other character are somewhere on the side of a road. And then it literally just cuts to them being with, like, three of the other characters that they haven't seen for, like, mm. half the film in an underground tunnel like that is ridiculous like this 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 film was so jumpy because it was juggling so many things that it didn't tell a story um and it didn't spend enough time on them and the the other character that was new that i think it didn't spend enough time on was newt's brother correct newt's brother who works for the ministry of magic i couldn't tell for the first i don't know 120 minutes of this film (laughs) if you were if you were meant to like him or if you were meant to kind of feel for him because of the situation Newt puts him in or if you were meant to not like him because he's a bit of a dick and it was only right at the end of the fucking film that I actually started to come around to that character and thought like oh you, like he's actually going to be quite a cool addition it shouldn't have taken that long it really shouldn't have taken that long it, it, it categorically should not have been taken that long because at the end of the film when you see them all on the bridge to Hogwarts can, and they do that shot almost like the classic Avengers shot where it's like the squad lined up and they're ready to go into the next film like I looked at it and I thought you, you, you and you we hardly know you I don't really know if I like you yet and yet we're supposed to be sold this dream that you're like all this kind of like all-star squad that is going to, you know, market the next film and get us really excited. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah, I also, I have a complete problem with the pacing of this film. Um, but we've, we've talked about this film for quite a lot, lot, long while. Yes. Um, let's, let's, let's go on to uh, critic just, quotes. I will just say quickly, do you remember in the trailer when you, ha- when um, I was like, this film has got like five films packed into one. There's so many actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it just doesn't feel like that. The circus scene, which I was really excited about, lasted two minutes. Literally yeah. lasted two minutes. And what an amazing idea to have a magic circus. Um, and I felt like that was a lot of the problem with the film is that it had um, too, too, like too many rushed, rushing over some of the moments that I wish we'd lingered on and too much focus on the things that I didn't really care about. Um, okay, critic quote. What do you want to do? Do your best description first. Yeah, go on. Then. My best description was from Kyle Wilson of the Nerdy Repository, and he said the beasts are once again fantastic, but the rest of the film is a dark, slow-moving prelude to war. Um, I completely agree. I think that there are some really nice dashes of the original film in this. Um, I think it does have a bit of an identity crisis. That is partly because it's the second of five films, as you said. Um, but I just think it could have been more exciting. And I think if they, uh, you know, here's me pitching that they tried to fit something else into this film. But if they <laughs> maybe, if they maybe tried to tell a slightly better and more self-contained. Um, like story arc in this film so let's say like everything was happening with Grindelwald and Dumbledore and their relationship and Newt's brother was getting involved but maybe let's say you cut out all the letter stuff for example but just had like a different thing happening like maybe there's like a serial killer monster on the streets of Paris and Newt 
is the only one that can stop him. But then shit, when Newt gets to Paris, like Grundlewald's expanding his influence as well. Like, I just, I, I feel like this film would have done better if it could be watched as a standalone film in years to come. Correct. And 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 serve the purpose of being part of a series. But like, for example, you watch Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire because it's got an incredible story about all the trials and yes it advances the story of you know the harry potter series but you can also pick that film up and be like this is a banging story in of its own mm-hmm. um just like uh, yeah but to be fair you could probably argue that for all the harry potter films you can't argue it for this film i could argue that, that, probably, that was what frustrated me i could argue that for the first fantastic beasts film as well yeah yeah was, you can because you it's can. such a standalone movie i loved the first fantastic beasts films i thought it was great i didn't think it was like, like life-changing but i thought it was it was really really good um best description for me is by peter travers from rolling stone um he says the twists get twistier as the film hurtles towards a climax at paris's Père Lachaise cemetery but the getting there, which should be half the fun, turns out to be a bit of a slog. I think yeah. that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, most savage. What? What is your thing? <laughs> okay. So, so I kind of, I kind of go in on Johnny Depp. Well, I don't go in on Johnny Depp. Richard Lawson from Vanity Fair went in on Johnny Depp, saying, "I suppose I'm obligated to mention that Grindelwald is played by Johnny Depp, whom the dutiful film crew was conscientious enough to shake awake just before Yates called action. Oh. <laughs> they really needn't have bothered." I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> it's um, pretty heavy, isn't it? Very heavy. Uh, mine from, is from Dan Qua, um, from the aptly named Slate magazine. Um, congratulations to Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, for being the first flat-out terrible product of the Harry Potter expanded universe. Um, yeah. Well, I, it's, the, it's the worst reviewed, isn't it? It's definitely the worst reviewed. It's got like 43% of Rotten Tomatoes. I, and, then, and, and then isn't it like The Order of the Phoenix after that? Because let's be honest, other than Dolores Umbridge, that film was wank. Uh, I fairly like The Order of the Phoenix, but that is essentially because of Dolores Umbridge, so fair. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, no, I think... Is it six that's the worst reviewed? Oh, no, six is Dumbledore's Death. That can't be re- can't be reviewed. Spoiler alert! Um, well, anyway, anyway, did you have did you have a favourite moment? Um, the first time we go to Hogwarts and that, and the music. Yeah, yeah, all right, that's pretty magical, isn't it? Yeah. I was going to say, even though you think it was quite short and sweet and maybe was hoping for more from it, after seeing the trailer, um, I, I still thought that Paris circus scene was really cool. Oh, it's beautiful I, 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 and amazing. I especially like, I especially like the whole way, like the whole circus is like packed up into that tiny wagon at the end, and then like they just fucking leave as if they were never there. Yeah, I like that um, as well. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, out of ten, six point five. Six point five. Um, it's. Mm. I would say that although I've I have slated it quite a lot, I will say that it is still a Harry Potter film or a Harry Potter franchise film. And I really enjoyed the magic in it. I really, really enjoyed a lot of the beasts and the things. I, I unlike you, I really enjoyed that the last ten minutes of that that political speech for me. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that whole thing. I thought the ending was terrible. I thought that there was there were, um, we haven't we haven't alluded to the big twist ending, which I'm not going to now because we've done so well of not talking about it. Um, but I thought that big twist ending, despite it being so problematic in terms of law, um, I think was quite a genuine shocker. And, and yeah, it was. You know, it and was. you know what? Um, for a, for film two out of a five film franchise to have that much of a twist at the end of the film, I'll give it a six point five. 
Yeah, but how much of a twist is it really if you know from the Harry Potter films that Dumbledore's going to survive anything that happens in the next three films? Um, Do you know what I mean? It's an interesting twist in, in it because it literally, if you look at the law, it can't happen. Because I'm quite, I've, I've literally gone up onto fan theories, and the fan theories are like endless and endless and endless. And essentially, what the problem is is that a fan theory posts something. And then, and then, and then the next fan theory is the fan says, "No, can't do that because of this piece of information here." And so, J.K. could write a if J, J.K. could write a really good, cool twist to how this has happened, um, and I'm excited for that. And I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, all right, fair play. Um, I would give it a six. I, I you know, I, it just wasn't good enough for me, and I think. It's not going to have replay value for people unless you're a huge Potterhead. And then I think even if you're a huge Potterhead, you're likely going to be in the camp that's a bit frustrated by the changes. So I don't really know what this film appeals, who this film appeals to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like hopefully the third one will be good. I feel like once they kind of really get into their stride, you know, it might. Um, and there's, there are some interesting new characters. I think Newt's brother is going to be a cool one. I hope he's kind of in it a bit more in the next film. And that Grimson guy is a badass. And I think we haven't seen much of him yet. Mm. Um, yeah, six. Shall we go on to Widows? Yes. Do you remember when we said let's make this episode like short, short and sweet? sweet. Yeah, we. <laughs> all right. Well, all right, all right, well, I, I will preface our, our Widows review by saying I, I don't have a ton to say. Neither do I. Um, do you want? What did you What did you think of this film? Okay. Because this film, this film is like mega reviewed. It's the new Steve McQueen film. Everyone fucking loves Steve McQueen. He did Twelve Years a Slave. He did Hunger. He's a great British black act like director um this has got a just a fucking star-studded cast full of like actors at the top of their game fucking viola davis uh fucking liam neeson colin farrell uh brian tyree henry uh daniel kalua you've got all these great all these great amazing like a melting pot of actors um and people have critics by and large have loved this film they love it um I think at the beginning, of, this is how I'm going to review it. I think, short and sweet, I think the beginning of the film sets up a very exciting, interesting, political, intriguey story. I think then the film thinks it's clever that, cleverer than it is and um, and tries to do... Um, and, and then actually leads onto a very, very boring, generic th- heist plot... Um, Thank you. But, Thank you. But without a lot of the action sequences because they're trying to do emotion. Now, I think that some of the acting in this film is fantastic. Um, the reason I rate it higher than Fantastic Beasts, which I've just slated, is essentially down to one man, and that is Daniel Kaluuya. Because Daniel Kaluuya in this film is a genius. Um, and maybe he's just a genius, but that, that scene where they're beatboxing, um, I'm not going to leave it, is just amazing um he's incredible the rest of the film the rest of the cast colin farrell's bad in this film and colin all farrell right. isn't bad in a lot of all films. right hold on hold on let me let me segue in and give my opinion then go, go. i there are so many good actors in this film and there are not enough good roles to go around correct this film yes like you said has a very interesting setup the trailer is electric like when you watch the trailer you're like oh fuck this is gonna be a good film this is one of the most boring films i've watched all year I was tr- I feel tremendously hoodwinked watching this and being sold on a incredibly impassioned female 
justice heist movie. I feel missold on a political espionage movie. I feel missold on the opportunity to see some of my favourite actors advance their careers, which they haven't been given the roles to do. For example, Brian Tyree Henry is of um, Atlanta fame. He's in Atlanta with Donald Glover and Lakeith Stanfield. If you've watched any of it, I don't know if you have or not, I do bang on about it a lot. He is phenomenal. He's one of the most talented young up-and-coming actors in America, along with Lakeith. Um, He has an incredibly drab role in this. He feels like he has no room to breathe as a character. It never gets interesting, and you're always hoping it will. He's not very intimidating. Even when he's holding a dog by the scruff of its neck, it's not frightening. Um, Colin Farrell plays the most generic political... Well, most generic politician in the most, like, I, I don't know, just... It was just dull, wasn't it, his storyline? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was there was really nothing dull. nothing gained from it, nothing that wasn't done before, just generally unlikable, and no matter how much he acted, you didn't... He didn't gain any favour. Like, he didn't do a bad job in this film, and there's one scene where he, like it's like a one shot where he gets in the car and you're only seeing the bonnet of the car as it's driving back to his place from where he's been doing a rally and you don't see him at all but you hear him like having an argument in the back of the car and it's pretty good it's pretty intense but like for the best scene with a character of his caliber to be a scene where he you can't even see him and he's just ranting about something that i can't even remember what he was ranting about like it held no power at all no um, I agree. And the thing, the the thing is, is that it builds this political intrigue, and then the heist happens, and the heist is done in literally four or five minutes, and then the whole rest of the film is done by is is literally the exposition is spelt out by a radio interview. Oh God, that's it. That's it. And the, it... all the political intrigue, all the things that's been building up, you don't see any of the payoff. You don't see these no. characters. Um, fail or or change in the in relation to the to the um plot there is also and i'm not i'm gonna do very well again and not spoil this there is um there is a plot twist halfway through the film which is yeah one of the worst plot twists i've Uh, ever seen in a film you you know how you know how i know it's a bad plot twist i watched this with my mum and my mum, you know what, fuck it, like, we're going to spoil this film. Liam Neeson dies at the beginning of the film, but he doesn't actually die because he's fucking Liam Neeson. Of course he's going to come back in the most tele, like, telenovela way possible. Like, my, my mum, literally, at the beginning of the film was like, Liam's not dead. There's no way they're going to cast him in this film. He's dead. And I was like, but mum, this is like, you know, Viola Davis is there. This is about, like, the women now. That's the whole point of the film. She's like, no, he's not dead. They wouldn't pay that much. And, like, that cynicism in my mum... And her experience with just watching soap TV made me realise how, like, how everyone's put this film on a pedestal of kind of, like, sophistication, and it's just fucking not. No, correct. And it's, 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 it's like, it's, I think everyone is celebrating this film because it's champagne casting and champagne crew. You have Gillian Flynn, the writer of Gone Girl, yes. um, writing the script. You have Steve McQueen, the person who did 12 Years a Slave. And who you can have Viola I... Davis. How could, how could it possibly fail? Exactly. And I just don't think it does. Now, in the, earlier in the, in the podcast, I said that I rate this film higher than, um, than Fantastic Beasts. And that is so just... Why? It's well. It's it's a lie because it's lie because I'm probably going to rate it lower, but I th- lower than Fantastic Beasts. But 
all of that rating is down to Daniel Kaluuya and Daniel Kaluuya yeah. alone. Yeah, That's he it. is. Um, he doesn't have a lot of scenes either, but he's a very intimidating presence. And the best thing about it is he's he's in a position in his career where he's he's not yet done anything that menacing, and so that's why it's so thrilling. Mm. Um, I personally, I didn't think it was as impressive as you. I don't know if maybe I'm a bit jaded by just fucking shit tons of Netflix crime dramas now, but like it takes quite a lot to really freak me out. But that scene with like the rapping where he shoots them um that really frightened people like in the cinema mm. like you could tell it was like it was it, i feel like it was definitely an audience that wouldn't go and watch like a conjuring film you know they weren't a jump you know they weren't an audience kind of that aren't afraid of jump scare but like even still it was quite frightening yeah and i'm quite, um, and I'm... the bit the bit in the bowling alley i think is my favorite scene in the film yeah the bit in the bowling alley is cool um it's really really cool um but the thing is is that when you say the people in the cinema are people who are not there to see The Conjuring, um, it's an 18. What we've got to remember about this film is it's a 15 to 18. I think in some, I think in the States it's an 18, here it's the 15. And I was in the cinema, Jake, um, around me. There was it was not it was not a big showing of it. I went I went to East Croydon to watch it, um, and it was four old women. <laughs> Just, yeah okay so, so there were people that were just not prepared for what this film threw at them. no no but not even that it's just like it kind of it, it that's kind of its audience it's an audience that thinks this film is a thriller but it's actually not do you know what i mean it's yeah. it's, it's an audience that don't often watch thrillers and are like oh i can watch this because it's got steve mcqueen doing it and etc and actually well, the problem with it is that no, it's not it's not getting a thriller audience it's trying to get the emotional audience and the emotional stuff is just not good enough it's and and kind of ruined by the, the thriller aspects the thrill the chase and the, the the whole culmination of the film takes place in about five minutes and it's not that scary and it's not that hard no and, and you know what it, it is like it's intense like any heist film should be Christ if it's not a bit intense and they've wholly failed on my part and it deserves a zero in my opinion um, but it was not anywhere near as as intense as the heist scene in American Animals Correct. which which generally speaking I can't remember did we rate that like an 8 or did we rate it higher because I, I, I am still thinking about that film I think it's I think as I probably one of the highlights it's probably one of the highlights of my year you were never really here A Quiet Place A Star Is Born and that film American yeah. Animals those are probably the top movies of 2018 so far but we will get into that in our halfway milestone episode coming soon um widows had everything in line to be just as intense just as gut-wrenching if not more so than american animals and it just didn't do it and i think some of it for me came down to the fact that other than cynthia ervo the one with the short blonde hair um out of the four main women um, she was amazing. She was a show stealer in a tiny role. I Correct. think for me, she's the Daniel Kaluuya for me. I think that everything she did in this film was was with so much heart and so much kind of presence. Um, and she's a very very new actress, which is very exciting. It's very exciting. Um, yeah. It's it's a very big thing for her. And this and um, Bad Times of the Air Royale, the the two films yes, that she's done, it's yeah, incredible. Yeah. 
So she's kind of sprung out of nowhere, in, well, to us anyway. I'm sure she's had a long career trying to get there, but she's kind of sprung out of nowhere with these two kind of huge Hollywood films. And she, I haven't seen Bad Times, but she deserves a lot of credit for this. She really does. And she's she's working alongside some real heavyweights who just don't pull their weight for me. Like Elizabeth Debicki, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, and Viola Davis. Like I, I, I used to adore Michelle Rodriguez growing up because I thought she was just the coolest character in the Fast and Furious films. I really like her as a person. She was so boring in this. She was really boring in this. She contributed nothing. She might as well have been a spin-off of her Letty character in Fast and Furious opening a opening a shop. Elizabeth Debicki. I don't know what it is, but I just I found her insufferable. I've seen her like, in two things, The Great Gatsby and this, and both times she's wooden. Christ. I, and I know she's that kind of actress. I know she's... Um, oh, who does she remind me of? Um, oh, I don't know. It'll come to me. Well, but, um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence was originally going to be that part and then couldn't do it because of scheduling issues. Um, but even still, I kind of think that... Jennifer, even Jennifer Lawrence, like Jennifer Lawrence, wouldn't have suited that role anyway. But then, who would? The role is not the role is not written for yeah. anyone that's got life in their heart. Yeah, but then it was like I know that she was meant to play. It, it's quite an intense. It's quite a big role. Oh and there's yeah, a lot of, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot of like no for Viola Davis. Oh for right. Viola Davis. I I know that it's quite a big role, and a lot of it is kind of just trying to convey grief without really explaining it in an expositional way. Uh, you're kind of doing it through the eyes and your kind of character and your your, your, your movement. But I just, I, I don't know, I thought I, I thought it was really plain. I didn't find it very convincing. I, I didn't like her at all, mm. so I didn't feel any sympathy for her. And when you get towards the end of this film, what kind of did it for me was you were supposed to kind of feel like this was some, you know, empowering act, like these women in the face of adversity, right? But I don't know, man. I just feel like these are not likable people. These are these are women who have turned a blind eye and coasted off the back of their husbands' like hateful, murderous crimes, mm. and are now kind of forced into a position where they have to do it themselves. And yeah, that's intimidating. But I, I fucking hell, I'm not going to root for you. I found Brian Tyree Henry's character the one that was intimidating them. I kind of wanted him to win the fucking election. I know. So did, no, you so know? did I. So did I. Like I, I, I. That's not what you're supposed to think in this film. But he wasn't playing a dark enough male presence, and they weren't playing simp- like like female protagonists that you could sympathise with. Mm. And, now, and- I'm not. I'm not saying it has to be a damsel in distress, distress situation. I'm just saying. There, there has to be, I don't know, it just didn't feel believable. There had to be a bit more to them to make me think, fuck, man. Like, I don't know, like, e- even little things, like when he goes to intimidate Viola Davis in her home and explain that he she needs to get him the $2 million, and, he, you know, he, like, picks up the dog at one point and it's a little bit like, oh, no, what's he going to do? Like, considering the weight of this film and considering how dark Daniel Kaluuya's scenes were... I was kind of hoping for something a bit more fucked up along the lines of like he fucking kills the dog in front of her to show how powerful he is or like I don't know um, one of Michelle Rodriguez's kids gets like I don't know killed or just just something like a moment like a turning point moment 
for the viewers to believe like fuck there is real weight in this and these women really have to pull this off if they don't pull it off they're fucked that was what you were supposed to feel and i didn't get that mm-hmm. i can believe- i think the problem is is that if you, you were talking about um roles roles um, you can't muddy the water to to which point each character is as despicable as each other in a heist movie. Because at the end yeah. of the day, you've got to work out who are the good guys and who are the bad guys and who are you rooting for. And do you want the heist to put, be pulled off? American Animals, they subverted that script. They cha- They at, at the point of the heist... They flip the script completely, and that is why that film is a stunning film about uh, because it ch- it changes your reaction to the character in a way, and also then by the end of the film you kind of level with it and become deeper um deeper attached to them. This film, the characters all play very confusing roles of like are they good, are they bad, and therefore there's not much payoff when the goodies in inverted commas win. There's also a side story involving Colin Farrell's relationship with his father that is like it goes to extreme lengths to seem really vulgar and really like fuck their relationship is just beyond repair but you gain nothing from it like you don't like I I just I didn't understand why it was there like it, it didn't serve any purpose it didn't like his torn relationship with his father didn't lead lead him to do anything particularly heinous or over the top or like push him over the edge as a character and his kind of like shouting back at the father um and kind of like his horrid nature towards him towards the end didn't lead to enough sympathy for you to feel bad when the father was like unfortunately shot in the robbery yeah so it's like what am i supposed to feel here it's, it's yeah it's <laughs> nice it's bad it's bad father-son relationships which have been written written so much in movies it's like basic 101 of like you taught me wrong this is the way i want to do things i'm my own man and it just doesn't turn out to be anything yeah but it's like you know i mean you know even if it is that storyline just have a fucking end goal with it like yeah. what's going to happen are they going to come to blows and Colin Farrell's going to like smack a whiskey glass on his dad's head and like kill him himself or you know like otherwise why is it in the film why are you spending so much time fleshing out this narrative if it's going to come to nothing mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know should we go on to Critic Quote Awards yep um, my best description um, this one takes a bit of explaining because it sounds positive but I actually mean it quite negatively um, <laughs> um, Josh Terry from D- Deseret News brackets Salt Lake City because I don't think people know where Deseret is um, with a little more of that opening scene craziness and a, and a bit less of the gratuitous content widows might fall into more of a guilty pleasure category now pos- this sounds positive what I mean by this is guilty pleasure because I just wanted to watch Daniel Kaluuya shoot people. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the only reason I want it to be a guilty pleasure film is I just want to see Daniel Kaluuya do things in Cynthia Erivo to be great. Um, I will, I will only... Are we saying that? Are we saying that right? Cynthia Erivo. Is it Erivo? Is that how you say it? I think it's either Erivo or I think Erivo. I said Erivo earlier. That yeah, sounded really bad. It's fine. It's fine. Well, it's, it's Lita, not Lita, to be fair. <laughs> I'll just correct you on that now. Um, your best description... Oh, you dickhead. My <laughs> best description is from Rex Reed at The Observer. And he said, Other reviewers talk about the film's style and originality, but I found no evidence of either, unless you consider endless shots of reflections in mirrors and glass door windows style. Nice. I like that. 
Um, I think was- it's so true. I think it, it's one of those films. It's a prestige piece. And it, it felt Oscar any, baity to me. It felt there was, it was very, very, very Oscar baity, and there wasn't anything original about it for me. Mm. It was, it was the most by the books film I've I've seen all year. Um, the, the my most savage proves that we are melded by the mind. Um, it's by Martin Thomas from Double Toasted. There is a huge plot twist when it comes. It feels like something out of a trashy soap opera. Am I watching a telenovela? Hey! And there we yeah, go. See, I'm glad someone else saw it. It <laughs> feels, some of it feels like a plot line from like Jane the Virgin. Yes, yes. Like it's just ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, just, I'll tell you what though, I did watch a Liam Neeson film the other day called The Commuter. Have you heard about this film? I've heard about The Commuter. It's, it it's, a, it's a standard Liam Neeson thing, right? He's just been laid off. You know, he's lost his job. He's an ex-copper. He's down on his luck. He gets on his train home. Same train he takes every day. But this time he meets a weird, kind of attractive, sultry woman who... I've said sultry twice this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who, like, tells him, like, you need to find this person on the train. Um, And eventually, like, and, and I'll give you a load of money. And cue, like, a film where, like, Liam Neeson's just going up and down fucking train carriages trying to find out who this person is while people are getting, like, killed and just all kinds of craziness. That is the kind of Liam Neeson film I want to watch. Or one where he gets really good development or Steve McQueen has the balls for him to actually just die at the end. Yeah. Not... Like, the only reason... Correct me if I'm wrong, but the only reason for keeping him alive in Widows was so that Viola, after Viola Davis discovered that he was cheating, she had the powerful female moment to put an end to it herself. Like, was that needed? Because, like, if, if he hadn't have been cheating but had faked his death, you'd kind of be like, well, why have they? Why is he back? Like, what, what's the point in this? And why not just leave it in the fact that he was a... He was a dangerous guy, but they loved each other because they because it's there's no foreshadowing of a bad relationship apart from the fact that Viola Davis's son dies um, and Liam Neeson's son dies. That's the only like problem like problems. In oh, the all right, all right, hold on, I'll give it credit. The bit where the son gets shot in the car that's pretty um that's yeah, pretty it's, that's it, pretty impactful. It's hard hitting. That that's yeah. yeah that is hard hitting. Um. Anyway, sorry, going away from it. Liam Neaton, the com- the commuter. Liam Neaton. Liam Liam Neaton. Liam Neaton. Um, What's your name? Liam Neaton. Go on. <laughs> um. The commuter. Go and watch that if you want to watch just a good popcorn Liam Neeson film. Um. My most savage quote for widows was from Daniel Kasman of Mubi. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Moody M-U-B-I and I know I saw you look at me um, <laughs> he said neither having the time nor surprisingly the aptitude to build its stories tapestry of love gender class race crime and politics when you spell it out like that it is trying to do too much mm, yeah correct I also I have an extra critic quote which I just thought I just kind of wanted to put a pin in this film by saying it um, Mike Lassell of the San Francisco Chronicle made a really good point he simply just said Widows is just an unimportant movie 
And I feel like this film was shot and then they rested back on their laurels when they had a really electric trailer, a really good cast, a really good director and thought like, yeah, like we're really meaningful. Like we're doing something really impactful here. We're releasing kind of like a a film about, you know, like four women teaming up together in 2018. Like what could go wrong kind of thing. And for me, what's gone wrong is it does, it almost does the concept of like a female adversity narrative narrative a disservice by not really doing it well enough? Yeah, and and it comes from a stock of widow the widows because widows is based on an original um, I think it's a TV serial from um, done by TV produced by a TV v- serial done by TV done by TV done, uh, no done by ITV brilliant you missed out the I you missed out the I ah. um um interesting that it was British but um. Produced by Verity Lambert, the first ever um, female producer, and Doctor Who. Doctor Who, she, she was the first ever producer of Doctor Who. Um, That's huge, cool. Another adventure in space and time. She's been, she's played by, um, I don't know, she's a woman in, in she, I think she's a woman in called Mid, Midwife. She's the main person in that. But um, that is that is a more meaningful story than most of Widows. And that's what they could have played on. They could have played on the fact that it is a meaningful women empowerment story. And actually, it's a sto- it's a it's it's a it's a story that is essentially designed to try and get Viola Davis an Oscar. Yeah, which is a shame. Um, best moment, mate. What's your best moment? Uh, I think the bowling alley scene, mate. I just thought it was like incredibly intimidating. I thought it was really well done. And uh, mine was the beatboxing scene. So twice of Daniel. Um, both, both Daniel Kaluuya, brilliant. Both Daniel Kaluuya. Um, what are you going to give it out of ten? Because you originally said that this you enjoyed this more than Fantastic Beasts, um, and you I, gave Fantastic Beasts a six point five. Yes, I'm going to give it a five, and all of those five are Daniel Kaluuya, and I enjoyed the film probably more than Fantastic Beasts. Um, I just feel the f- I like put on my reviewing thinking podcast brain. It's a five. It, I enjoyed it at the cinema because Daniel Kaluuya, like Fantastic Beasts, is like stunningly mediocre this film was terrible with flashes of absolute brilliance and that's why i enjoyed it more does that make sense yeah yeah so i'm i'm giving it a four um because like it's one of the only films um we've reviewed in the last 25 weeks where i've actively considered leaving the cinema um and just and just and just not and just packing it in after about an hour because um well, the only reason I didn't stay is because I have, you know, the benefit of Limitless and you can just kind of come and go as you please. But mum bought a ticket, so I can't exactly kind of just be like, see you later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I, actually, I think if I was on my own watching this, um, I probably wouldn't have seen it through unless I knew that you were watching it and we absolutely had to watch it. But wow. I, I, It was one of the biggest letdowns of the year for me. Wow. And on that fun note... <laughs> on that in- incredibly dreary note... <laughs> um, um, we end our podcast. It. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe. Please um, please like us on iTunes and review us on iTunes. Um, we're getting some really, really good reviews in. Thank you to everyone who's done that. Uh, we've got some reviews on the Facebook page. That's very kind that people have done that as well. Please keep liking. Please keep sharing. We'd love to grow, grow the podcast more. Uh, and thank you very much, Jake. Yeah, thank you, mate. I mean, what are we going to do next week? I think next week oh, we've yeah. got the, Grin- the Grinch on the cards, yeah? Oh, yes, the Grinch. 
Um, I'm very excited about that film. We do need to catch that. We've also got another screen and scene coming up. Um, we just need to have a think about whether... Because obviously next week is... Well, hold on. Next week will be week 26. Next week will be the halfway milestone. So we need to decide if we're going to have a little bit of fun with it, if we're going to kind of like look back at the highlights or if we're going to kind of squeeze in a film review as well. Um, but tune in next week for the 52-week film project halfway party um party pending actual information as to what that entails i'll have gin i might have have champagne (laughs) (laughs) we will be drinking yeah correct correct (laughs) it will probably go on for much longer than usual um and we'll probably both fall asleep in a drunken stupor and forget to turn the recording off yep so enjoy the 10 hour podcast that we bring to you next week (laughs) an hour and a half of us talking and And eight eight hours of you snoring yeah correct (laughs) right Uh, thank you very much will thank you everyone for listening and we will see you all next week goodbye